four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hey everybody, welcome to Dispatches. I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico today with someone that I'm uh, very happy to be interviewing. I'm with photographer Charlene Winfred. How are you today? Hi, good, thank you. You mean a little, get a little closer to the okay. mic. That's perfect. That? These things, are, yeah, you can also tilt it around if you need to okay. tilt it around. So uh, before we get into this interview, uh, where can people find you online? Um, the most... The best place, I guess, would be my website, charlenewinford.com. That's easy enough. That's easy enough. What about, what if, I got to ask. You know what I'm going to ask next, right? Yeah. Where, where are you there? Where am I Instagram. there? Instagram. Yes, yes. Instagram slash charlene.winford. Okay. Facebook slash, I think it's charlene.winford. I would hope so. Give or take the dot. Okay. Give yeah. or take the dot. That's fair enough. You'll find it. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm totally confident in people. <laughs> so uh, where do you come from originally? So I was born and raised in Singapore. Okay. And at 18, I went to Australia to go to uni, actually. And then I kind of never left. Um, never left till, Australia. Well, I, I stayed there for about 14, almost 15 years. And then in 2013, I just kind of sold up and shipped out and went nomad. And where did you go to uni? At Murdoch University in Perth, Western Murdoch Australia. Murdoch in Perth. And on your website, you talk about being uh, an in-betweener. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, I'm so ethnic, uh, ethnically, I'm, I'm half Indian and half Chinese. That's so amazing. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting because people then assume, oh, but you're like really cultural. And I really, I often say I don't know anything about being Indian. I know possibly just as much about being Chinese. <laughs> My parents are not you know, particularly emphatic on the on the cultural thing. They preferred me to just go and figure it out myself. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have, and I possibly never will, but that makes things a little interesting. And so you're, you live between cultures. You're half the time you're in, or part of the time you're in Singapore. You've got Chinese relatives and Indian relatives. Yeah. And, uh, but you spent a long time, because your accent to me, you know, there are so many traces of different places in the background of that accent that sometimes I talk to you and I'm like, oh, that's Australia right there. And then there's the Singapore thing. And then there's this weird sort of thing in the middle of hanging out with a Danish guy all the time. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that accent is. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 my accent changes actually quite a lot depending on where I am and who I'm talking to. I'm so sure. I'm, I'm trying to slow down and roll my words a little more because I'm talking to you right now. That's good. You slow it down for me. You, you know me. So, uh, yeah, as slow, as slow as possible. Now, I'm jumping ahead here. I'm going to jump ahead and then jump back. But it's curious to me, what, what, what impact do you think being an in-betweener has had with photography, your photography? Um, I think the most, the most obvious one is possibly that I'm, I'm, I'm never really in there with stuff. Like a lot of, a lot of people have commented that I, I never really get in, into a situation. I always stand outside or I'm behind glass or... I'm always, you always get the feeling, looking at my stuff, that I'm outside of whatever it is that's going on. So you're like, you're an outsider looking in instead of like really diving into something or, you know, getting, spending, the, being there so long that you're sort of from on the inside. Yeah. 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 I, I never, I've never really inhabited anything all my life for any amount of time. And I'm, I'm fairly, I'm a, fa a reasonable loner and fairly introverted. So I'm, I'm used to watching. I enjoy just kind of observing stuff. Yeah. It's, it's for me, visually, the world is very rich. 
So it's funny you bring up the word introvert because I never really thought about that word. I never thought about the meaning. I never thought of myself as an as an introvert until earlier this year when I read a book about introverts, and I thought, "Wow, this is me ten times over." And there was a little quiz at the beginning of the book that's like, you know, if you've answered so and so many of these questions, yes, then you're an introvert. And I answered, I think, all of them, yes. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I, I, I too, am a little bit in the same of like, a, I'm happy observing. I don't necessarily need to be involved in everything. But when you were little, uh, let's say pre-moving to Australia, what did you think you were going to be in life? I honestly didn't think I'd be doing what, I, what I'm doing now. I, I fully expected myself to go through school and hopefully kind of pass and hopefully get a job that will pay me stuff and kind of wait to die. Honestly, that, that was where I thought <laughs> it would be. Wait to die. Yeah. <laughs> I, I seriously did not expect to have anything of an interesting life. And I think for the first 30 years of my life, it, it was... Uh, I and mean, why, why much not? Like, why do you think that was the case? It's... Mm, I've thought about that a lot. And I think it's a lot of the time it's because... I think my parents, so my parents are immigrants. My parents okay. came to Singapore from Malaysia. Okay. And they were both extremely poor and often early in life. And I think for them, s survival, just, you know, making yeah. sure you're, you're, you're getting along and having enough food to eat and putting food on the table, having a secure job and stuff, that was, yeah. that was a good thing. And, but I'm born, I was born into Singapore. I was born in a, in a nation that was rapidly rising up. I mean, we're one of the wealthiest nations on earth today. Right. And so I think um, the world that I, that I was living in, where people felt every absolute right to be there and to be great and to have interesting stuff, was a little different to what my parents would right. say. So they, for me, there was always what, usually my dad telling us, you know, you're not like that. Yeah, other people have this, but you're not like that. So be happy with your lot in life. Okay. So I that makes just, sense. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, from an immigrant's perspective, considering my parents, my my dad told me all the time we were shit poor growing up. He ate chicken once a year at Christmas, wow. and he got the scraps because all the adults and everybody else got you know all the big all, all the good stuff. Yeah. He walked to school when he was a little boy five miles there, five miles back. So yeah. Really, really poor. So I mean, I guess I I see where that comes from. So. And then when did you start to have the inkling that maybe that was not the life you wanted to live, that you wanted to live this more interesting life? What, what age were you when that creeped in? Was it uni? I think I've always wanted to live an interesting life. When, when I was a kid, I used to dream about being an artist and wa walking around and painting the world because I, I drew and painted a lot as a kid. Um, but I mean, I was raised to do the right thing, go to school, you know, get married, have a house, a car stuff all that stuff and I did all that I was married before some years before I did have a, a really good job at the bank my parents were thrilled oh my god our terrible child is finally doing something right <laughs> the first first time in her life had a you know a house the mortgage everything and I was miserable it just, it just nothing was good now this was Australia yeah and this was you were working in IT fields yes and you lived and worked in Australia you had you know what people would consider here like the American dream you had a job you yeah. were married you had a house and everything but the, you not yeah. not not happy the yeah. underlying current was like so this isn't right yeah I mean I was making bucket loads of money but it, I mean for what yeah there, there was nothing there was nothing the money was for it was just being wasted because it was like well why why not what's the purpose there, there's, yeah. there's nothing else so, and so when, what was the, what was, what was the first piece of that puzzle to fall? What was the first thing that said, okay, I don't want to do this job or I don't want to be married or I, I want to do something else with my life. Was there a, a sort of a pinnacle thing, something that happened? Well, it was a culmination of a very, very long process. I mean, I, 
after my hus- my ex-husband and I sort of broke up, then I started living on my own. And my just from living on my own, my entire perspective changed. Suddenly, I found when I moved out of our old house, we had a house load of stuff, like most people do when they yeah, have houses. Sure, sure. And um, when I moved out, all of my stuff fit into my tiny little hatchback. All of it. Every single piece that I owned. Still, yeah. I basically moved out 15 years later on my own with the same amount of stuff I came to Australia with. Wow. And it was great. I was like, holy crap. Like, look at how much space I had. I rented a little apartment. It was it was amazing. All I had, the most, the most stuff I had was books. I didn't have anything else. Were you shooting pictures at this time? Uh, yeah, I was assisting... Outside my day job, I was actually assisting one of the local photographers with okay. um, weddings. Yeah. But I mean, it was just for a little bit extra money. Um, and I thought it was great. A lot of people have, have always, I've always read about people who, you know, lived out of a suitcase. And I looked around and I'm like, I could live out of a suitcase. That's awesome. I yeah. totally need to live out of a suitcase. And also at around the time, like I knew, I've known Fleming for quite, quite a few years as well. And he, and if not for him, I really, I don't think I would have embarked on that journey. Because well, so th- let's give a little background here. So yeah. explain who Fleming is, because I want to hear your take. Okay. I, I have my own definition of him. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's maybe not fit for this interview space. But So describe who we're talking about, because I have interviewed him before on the site. Yes. Everybody here knows him. Yes. So Fleming Bo Jensen is, is uh, Mr. Nomad, as you know. He's, yep. he's Danish. I think, poof, I must have met him in real life for the first time in 2011. Okay. We've been commenting on each other's blogs and stuff. Because he was a Perth dweller as well for yeah, a while. He, yeah, seasonally. He, he came to Perth regularly. We were both sort of part of the same uh, photographic community. And back in the day where blogging was, you know, how you kind of got yeah. to know people and stuff. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I, I did a couple of projects with him. Um, we made a couple of books. Well, rather, I edited a couple of books that he made. And I used to talk to him all the time, like, how do you just pick up and go? And I realize, you know, all of all of these stories that you hear about digital nomads just doing the thing. Yeah, just pick up and go. It's all great. Yeah. And, and for me, these were incredibly brave people because I'm I'm not brave. It, it's not. I was. Ter- I'm terrified of everything. <laughs> and and for me, I expected shit to go wrong when I got on the road. And yeah. Boy, for the first year that I was on the road, because I was uh, on there mostly alone. Everything went wrong, but then I I discovered you just have to cope. You yeah, have you to cope because you don't have a choice. Yeah, just get on with it. So you met Fleming, and just to give everybody a little background, when I met Fleming, I don't remember when it was. It was many years ago, uh, and Fleming was a guy who worked in Denmark. Was worked for the Danish government, the IT department. Was not was it's very similar to your situation of looking around, kind of going, you know what, this is not how I want to live my life. So he quit, packed up, sold off everything, packed up, went on the road. And I met him probably a year and a half or two years after he'd been on the road. I taught a workshop in Peru. He came down and took the workshop. We became friends and we remained friends. And so Flem, you were sort of eyeballing him living this nomadic lifestyle and saying, you know what, there's something, I think I want to give that a shot. And for the first year, you just went on your own. Did you, did, was, did you go to Mexico? Is that the first place you went? That was it. absolutely yeah, the first I remember place that. I went. My, my entire family thought they were, they were, they've lost me at that point. Everybody tried to talk me out of it. People got angry with me. They were like, why can't you go somewhere else that's safer? <laughs> I'm like, because Mexico, come on. Yeah. I need to go there. So I, did, I went there for two months. It was amazing. So two months there, some, what didn't go perfectly smoothly in terms of things go, you know, going wrong, but then you realize, look, that's just traveling. You're going to have to roll with it. Yep. How long into the first trip did you start to relax? 
you know, I don't think I ever relaxed. So for two months in Mexico, you were kind of still learning the yeah. ropes and like, you know, there's a little sort of underlying tension of no security net. Yeah, I mean, because I, I'd spent two months in Mexico City. I didn't go anywhere else in Mexico. Okay. Um, no, I, I stopped in La Paz uh, in Baja, California for the first week just okay. to thaw out from Seattle. Okay. And then I hit it to Mexico City where I spent two months. Okay. Um, out of that two months, I was deathly ill for the for one of those months. Okay. I contracted something. I had a major chest infection. Okay. I could barely breathe. Um, and it's extremely polluted there. So yeah. it's not the best place on earth to have respiratory, respiratory illness. Yeah. So that, and I didn't speak any Spanish. Yeah, that's always handy. Yeah, that's always handy. So, you know, great. great. It, was, it was very, very, I guess, not quite intelligent move on my part. I'm glad I did it though. Yeah. Well, you could, but now the thing is, what year was that? 2013. And you're still on the road. Yeah. You got, but now you and Fleming are, are together yeah. and you've been together traveling for how long now? What was the end of 2013 till now? Three okay. years. Wow. Yeah. And, and not nonstop on the road. So when, yeah. when, when a lot of times that word nomad is thrown around a lot now and people will leave for a couple of months and come back and it's like, oh, they live a nomadic existence. But that, that's one version of it. You guys are what I would call like full nomads. So you have someone from Singapore, you have someone from Denmark. And you guys are pretty much perpetually traveling. You're either in Asia or, or uh, Europe or the U.S. or whatever. It's full time. Now, on the surface, that people would say, well, that's the life that I want to live. But obviously, it's, it's tricky. There's, there's certain things that are difficult. But also, during the time that you're on the road, photography became much more of your life. It, instead of becoming just a hobby or something that you were experimenting with, you really became, you were like, this is something I want to focus on. What triggered that? to say, look, I don't just want to go on the road, but I want to make photography a big part of my life. Well, I mean, photography was a big part of my life, even before I, I went on the road. I, I, was, I was reasonably miserable, I think, for the last few years of my satellite existence in Perth. And photography was basically the only thing that gave me any joy every day. So I, I started a little project that I still have going today, where I, I brought my camera on the bus and I just it was, oh, okay, let me start again. It was an hour's commute from okay. my home to work and an hour back. Okay. If there was, the traffic wasn't too bad. And there was nothing to do but sleep or read. So one day I thought, I'll just bring my camera and start shooting stuff yeah. outside the bus window. I still do it. I love it. Yeah, I look at your stuff all the time and there's, yeah, yeah. Ton, tons of windows, trains, buses, yeah. transport. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great place as well to just observe people who are as in transit as I am. Like everybody just, a lot of people are blanked out you know, when they're on their way somewhere and they're just waiting to get there. And it's, it's very revealing of humanity just, just to watch people move through environments. Some people notice it, some people don't, some people react to it, some people don't. It's, yeah. just, it's just a full spectrum of what happens to people when they're waiting for stuff. And you also, one of the things that, I, that really, I really liked about your work when I first found it was the writing. And was what the IT job were, that you were in, was there a lot of writing involved or was the writing something you'd just been doing on the side? I've, I've always written because I, I, I read a lot. So yeah. I think every, every voracious reader does write. Yeah. At least every voracious reader I've, I've known has always been a big writer as well. Um, I did no writing at all in IT. You, you wrote code, you wrote script. That, that was pretty much it. Okay, that was <laughs> yeah. it. Just, yeah. Okay. And so you're out on the road. You guys are now traveling together. You're bouncing around. You're doing these things. Who was the first of the two of you to land with Fuji? Fleming. Fleming. So Fleming started shooting Fuji. When I, I think when I met him, he was shooting Canon. 
I think he was shooting Canon. And then he had a Leica for a few days, at least. I remember here in New Mexico, he was using a Leica once. But then he started shooting for Fuji, and he became uh, an ex-photographer. What's the, what do they call that, the designation? Is, is it Fuji ex-photographer? Yeah, ex-photographer. Yeah, okay, you're an ambassador, basically. An ambassador. So yeah. it's like a sponsorship with Fuji, and then he did that. When did you start using the Fuji stuff? Um, well, he got his Fuji in 2011, I think. He got the X100 in 2011, okay. I think. Um, I, at that point, was also suffering a really bad neck injury. I had a bulging disc, and it, it kind of killed. It kind of killed any sort of walking around photography I was doing because I couldn't okay. carry anything. Okay. When I saw that X100, I was I was wrapped. It was amazing because it gave you DSLR quality type images, yeah. and it was tiny. Yeah. So I wanted one, but I wanted, but it was a 35 uh, millimeter. Th- yeah. The, the lens. Millimeter equivalent. Yeah. Um, I wanted something at a with 50 mil. So when the X Pro One came out in 2012, I was on it the moment it was available. I just wanted one. It, it just it just lightened up my load literally so much on my back. I started walking around shooting again, which I was not able to do for a very long time. Well, it's interesting because, you know, gear obviously dominates the chatter in the photography space, and um, I try to avoid it. But the, the truth of the matter is the gear that you use will heavily impact whatever kind of images you're going to make. So it, it is a part of the equation. So the camera, you suddenly had something that was not as heavy, and it allowed you to walk around and do the kind of photography that you wanted to do. And then your relationship with Fuji over the years has gotten has expanded, and now you are, you yourself are an ex photographer as well. You're an ambassador for Fuji, yep. which is pretty amazing. What does that mean exactly? Because I can imagine that every single prosumer, every single hobbyist photographer in the world, and a lot of the pros as well, are looking at that position and saying, "Well, how do I become a Fuji ambassador?" <laughs> you know, everybody wants to be sponsored. So, I mean, how what's it? Has it been fun? What kind of stuff do you do for Fuji? Well, for for me, because I'm attached to Fujifilm Nordic. Nordic. Yeah. Okay. Which um, sounds cold and, and stark and dark in the wintertime. That's yeah. all I know about that word. Yeah. And I've never been there in the wintertime. It's great you in are summer. Way, <laughs> you are so intelligent. <laughs> it's never been there. But I work with I work with the good people of Fujifilm Nordic, and they are incredibly supportive of my work. I mean, women in photography is just one of those things where people are like, yeah, but, you know, it's like just playing around. It's just a little girl. And yeah. I refuse to talk tech with people. They're smart. I just I fla- yeah. I flatly refuse to do it because I'm a not an engineer and b because I firmly believe that the cameras that we have these days are better than any of us really know what to do with. Yeah. Save you know, a few specialists, but for the rest of us who shoot street, who get out and shoot some travel stuff, if you can't make whatever you your contemporary camera work for you, then you possibly need to practice a little more. And so is that um, how would you if I ask you what kind of photography do you do? What would you say? I would I would say I'm a street shooter, just simply because that's my approach. Is that the kind of photography that you like to do the most? Yeah. Now that probably again dates back to being an in-betweener and looking at cultures and being able to just observe, walk and observe. That's a really, really fun thing. But you also do professional commercial work as well, yes. which is pretty interesting. Obviously, this is a scenario, a work scenario that pretty much every single photographer I know lives in which is I need to make money and survive, but then this is the other work that I really want to do. And it's very, very rare that someone is able to find the work they love that actually pays them enough to do what they want to do. It happens, but not as much anymore. And so the commercial stuff for Fuji is, I've seen films that you've made, so you're not only doing stills, you're doing motion as well, yep. which, te- which now your intelligence level to me has fallen down again. <laughs> So, because it's just, that's just monumental. And I know Fuji, uh, Fuji, Fleming does video as well. And so what, tell me about the commercial stuff. Is it, is it interesting, fun, um, or is it, or is it just commercial stuff? 
Well, because the commercial stuff that I've done is all has all been based in the Nordics, it's been actually quite fulfilling because I everybody I've worked with in Nordic has an extremely laid back and very high trust approach to stuff. It's like you're you're definitely it's the one place where every time I shoot something, be it video, be it stills, I feel like I'm in there, I'm part of the team. Okay. This has obviously not happened to me a lot in life. So it's got to be it's, a great feeling. It, it's a great feeling. I mean, it, it's amazing to be included. Yeah. I just, it, it's for me, it's mind boggling. Most people are like, what are you talking about? This is just how people work. I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> not <laughs> no. always and not really. <laughs> so they're, they're super supportive. And also through Fuji, Fuji was the reason that I started doing video to begin with, because I threw an idea at them and said, look, I'd like to make a little film for this thing. What do you think? And I fully expect them to go, no, we don't, look, we don't need it. But they came back and said, yeah, go for your life. So that was the reason I started doing video. But I mean, video for me is very much a commercial right. thing. I did make one really fun video of Fleming for I, the very first yeah. time in 2013. It was Nomad, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Beyond. Well, you, Beyond, you gave yeah, us yeah. that title, actually. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. And now I have to rethink my whole take on the Nordic world because they sound like really cool people. They are really cool people. So I can't let Fleming, you know, tarnish his, the <laughs> reputation of the entire region. So um, that sounds amazing. It does feel amazing to be part of the team. And, um, I mean, if you look historically at camera companies and their sponsorship of the men versus women range it's it, like anything else in tech it is dramatically weighted in the male male perspective so it's really interesting to me and very and fantastic for me to see women um included in those platforms and and to hear that you are really you know you feel that that's a wonderful experience for you that's good to hear um okay so is let's say professional photography is it what you thought it would be before when you let's say you go back to your amateur days and you go man i'd love to be a pro photographer and then you, in your mind you have a vision of what that's going to be and then you get in the middle of it, and then you go, okay, maybe I need to rethink that title or definition a little bit. For, that was a very dramatic experience for me because I started in journalism, and I realized very quickly that the news that we printed was determined by a very small number of very wealthy white male pe males mm. at 3 o'clock in the afternoon who would determine what news the paper ran. And I thought, this is a really weird scenario that I don't think a lot of people know. Changed my opinion. I still love doing the work. I love journalism. I love photography. But it was like, oh, I had to learn. This is not everything is not as it seems. So for you, when you started getting these commercial things, was was being a pro what you thought, or like to me now, I look back and I think I, I not even looking back. I love being an, an amateur photographer now. There's so much freedom, and I don't have to think about any of the business aspects of being a photographer. It's just like oh, I want to go shoot that. I'll go shoot that. What about you? What was it, what's it like for you? Well, I, I will say first that I'm not a photo, photojournalist and uh, kudos to everybody who puts themselves out there to be one because it sounds... It's hard. Insane. Yeah. Um, and for, for just the work and the emotional toll that you get depending on what you cover as well as what's happening in the industry at the moment. I will say I've read a lot about what professional photographers and photojournalists did before I even started to shoot for money, and it sounded like a completely crazy world. Yeah. Great if you happen to be one of the people up there working for on staff or National Geographic or whatever, like you got yeah. support and stuff, but for everybody else, it just seemed like... It was tough. How? Yeah. So I don't do that. I, I shoot um, events with Fleming. Occasionally, I get the odd portraiture commission. Um, I do video... Most of the video we've done so far has been for Fuji Nordic. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, 
every single commission that I've gotten has been completely hands-free. So the client will go, here's what we want you to do. Yeah. Here are the, our guidelines for yeah. a brand or whatever. And do what you want. Go and do what you want. Yeah, that's it's, fantastic. It's been amazing. I, I yeah. found out a few days ago that one of my pictures was like, is actually in the Red Bull Photography Editor's Choice Pool. Oh, nice. And it says there it's just the best of Red Bull Photography. Now, Red Bull stuff is epic. Yeah. I don't shoot epic stuff. I'm a quiet person, so my pictures are quiet. <laughs> so it was a complete... I pretty much fell out of the chair when I saw it there. I'm like, what the hell is that doing there? Yeah. It's but pretty just, cool. Just because you're quiet, though... You know, that you can take a, the, the most introverted, quiet person in the world, put a camera in their hand, and they make something that literally goes out and changes changes the world, changes opinion, changes people. That's the beauty of photography. The, 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 the camera is this amazing transition tool. Yeah. So that's pretty, that's pretty nice. Yeah. I'm nice. not in the Red Bull catalog. <laughs> All right, this interview's over. That's it. And so um, now you are, in terms of photography, so you went from liking it to becoming part of a community in Australia to taking this leap of faith and going on the road. Photography is now, you're a professional, you're doing this for, for a career. Do you have, are there goals that you set for yourself in photography or are you just happy doing what you're doing and you're going to adapt to whatever comes down the way? Um, commercially, I guess I will adapt because, you know, you have to. Yeah. Um, but creatively, I've, I've always thought photography, well, for me, Okay, I'm not speaking for anybody else, but for me, I always thought photography would be just a part of a more inclusive work. I okay. love to start working with musicians and writers and just other people and just bring together an object, a product, whatever, that combines photography with something else. That's always, I mean, for me, because I write and shoot. Yeah. I could not shoot without writing, and I don't think I could write without shooting. So, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's very much a, a symbiotic process for me. And I'm just interested to see what that will be like collaborating with somebody else who has not the same training, the same influences, and the same view of the world um, that I do. So I'm, I'm doing that. I'd also like to work on a little more in-depth uh, projects, but being uh, that I'm never in one place for very long, that's a little harder. Because, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned before, Fleming and I lead very, very nomadic lives. I want to move all the time. One of the main reasons is because we don't have a residence in common. So we can't stay, we can't stay anywhere long term together, for more than three months, which is the standard sort of. Yeah. So just visa. just to reiterate that with the audience, just think about that. So she's Singaporean and he's Danish, and there's no, there's very, very, very few places in the world where they can be together for longer than ninety days at a time. So it's almost a forced nomad, even though you like you love being nomads and that's who you are. There's in some way, weird way, there's no choice in the matter because every ninety days you've got to pick up and move. So. Photographically, I think just to go back to the goals thing in photography, I think what you're talking about is working on larger projects, more diverse projects where photography is a part of the equation, but not the whole equation. Yeah. And so partnering with other people in other disciplines of the creative space and saying, let's do a project where it's combining all these different disciplines and photography is a piece, but not like solely focused on, you know, because yeah, we, we too easily like geek out on the photography shit and, and then lose track of the fact that it's a project or a story or whatever. And so moving forward, the, my last question is about the future. You guys, um, again, you're, you're, you're going to be on the road here until you find a place that you can, you know, kind of settle down and say and create a base. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that, that's an exciting thing to, to look forward to, finding a base. Yeah, I mean, we hope to, we hope anyway, was, was sort of looking into moving to Germany next year. I love um, Germany. 
<laughs> to all, anyone in Germany listening to this, I love Germany. <laughs> I do. Except I got yelled at by this uh, by someone in a hotel once because my plane was late. And the hotel was not happy that I was checking in late, but I'm not holding that against you, Germany. Not at all. No, no. Love it there. Germany, Germany is awesome, and also I have high family there, and they've become very, very good friends of ours. So it's it's nice to have a little support. It will be nice to have a base to return to, just simply because we can come back and process things. Like for for me, being on the road now is great. You know, you're on the move. There's all these inputs, but because of the way I'm just built mentally, I need. St- time downtime to process everything that's going on i need to write i need to read i need to think about stuff and we don't really have that at the moment so it will be nice if if this happens i mean who knows what's going to happen we're still looking to it at the moment if it does happen it will be amazing to actually have a place where we can both uh, stay for as long as we want without the threat of you know oh the tourist visa's over okay we have to find somewhere else to go yeah, it would be nice to start running for a while, basically. Yeah, so. that sounds that sounds good. Yeah. Although I, you know, it's going to be weird for me to have you in the same place all the time. That's going to be it's going to take some getting used to on, <laughs> for me. But I think I can deal with it. I'll I'll take my time with it. Um, and so I was uh, I was I have to shoot your portrait here in a minute, and I'm going to use my trusty Fuji X100T because that's the only digital camera I have with me. And um, you are an X Pro two shooter now. Yep. Because you're too sophisticated for the one apparently. And so, well, my, my one's dead, so... Okay, good. That's good. Uh, X-Pro2, um, what's the next photographic project you're working on? Do you know? Other than shooting around New Mexico while you're here. Uh, well, Fleming and I have been working... We've been, we've been trying to put this project together for a while. Every time we come here, one person is driving and one person is shooting the hell out of, you know, whatever's going on. So right. we're trying to put a book together of, of like pictures from from the road from the shotgun oh shotgun, from the shotgun yeah, seat. yeah 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 you know that's that's good we'll end with this but speaking about publications so I, Fleming has done some interesting books in the past um, he did one from his Peru trip that I was that I found pretty interesting a little limited edition thing but making books living on the road that's a really tricky thing to do because you are after all on the road and everything you have fits in one little suitcase it's pretty remarkable how you guys travel I think it's very inspiring and uh, books, you know, you said you traveled and moved and you had all your, your belongings were all books. Uh, when it comes photographically in terms of looking at your work when you're in the field, and I, I love hearing you say that about the base because you're a lot like I am in the sense that I need a place where I can process things and slow down and get quiet and get away from it. Uh, what, how do you, your work lives on hard drives while you're on the road and then you're, when you go to wherever that your temporary base is, you're still on hard drives. Yeah. So um, what, how do you, do you ever print on the road? Do you ever make books on the road? I, I don't make books on the road. Um, we do print on the road a fair bit. It just, just those standard pharmacy prints. But sometimes it's nice when you're sort of trying to get a project going just to have prints that you can throw around. We, I, I very often draw on my prints and stuff like that. And it's nice, it's nice to do that. And it's also nice, somet- often I find it really nice when I destroy my prints and I throw them away. And, okay, any printing maniac right now is probably hating on me. Yeah. But I love... That's okay. We love it. We love hate, too. But I love that ephemeral part of it that, like, you know, my work doesn't matter. It's extremely free. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to destroy it, and it doesn't matter. There's just a, lo- there's a lot of freedom in that. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't... Um, I've never thrown away, a, a, like, a massive set of negatives, but I've thought about it a lot. And, and frankly, the only reason I didn't was because of other people. 
because I knew that they would say, I didn't want to deal with people saying, why would you do that? And it was because even though I liked the work and I was attached to the experience of being in the story, I wasn't necessarily attached to the negatives. That it was like, okay, uh, now I look back and I'm glad I have them. And the stuff that I make now, I am probably more attached to it now because I understand what it represents and I didn't when I first got into photography. But that's interesting that there's that sort of, because, you know, again, I think that expression towards your photography is an expression of the, the, the rest of your life combined. That combines from your childhood through, through the, the sort of transitory nature of your adult life and being a, an immigrant in different cities and places around the world, being an in-betweener, being an observer. Yeah, I think that there's something in the core that you realize is far more important than the actual act of photography. Yeah, I mean, is, I, but I, don't throw your work away. I, I delete stuff all the time, all the time. <laughs> Mad deleter. Yeah, and I mean, being in transit, I'm in transit in so many different ways. I'm in transit mentally, I'm in transit ethnically, culturally, everything. I'm, I'm an immigrant in so many ways. The one thing I've learned is that nothing, nothing is permanent. I mean, one day, you know, one day, I, I, went, I went to bed some years ago. I went to bed one night and I woke up in the morning in complete and utter pain. And once one arm was, was you know, numb. Freaked out, went to the physio. Physio's like, you got a bulging disc. It's and it's a huge bulge. Like the two of them, <laughs> there were two physios looking at look at the MRI when it came back. They're like, man, you've really done a crack on this one. I'm just like, guys, help. <laughs> what are you doing? So I mean, I was fine one day, and I woke up the next morning, and it this this thing now has plagued me for a long time. I can't. There are certain things I cannot do. There are certain weights I cannot carry. And then that it was even further cemented one day when I got a call in 2013 at the end, and my that was my mother on the phone going, "Your father has cancer." I. Oh no no! It wasn't. It wasn't even your father has cancer. Actually, you're, you're, they found something in your father's in your father's stomach because he stopped eating, and my father has been you know he's been generally issue free most of his life, and we're like, what happened? And eventually, we found out that he had stage four cancer. Wow. He he died three weeks after. Oh my god! It was a shock. Like it just you. I it remember came out that. Of nowhere. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So nothing, absolutely nothing, is permanent. So it's just like you know what? Delete it. You'll make something different. Yeah. Now that's a really healthy approach. It is. Because yeah. I think I remember one time a kid told me that I was an ego maniac because I was concerned about creating a photo archive, and he was like, nobody, basically, nobody gives a shit about an archive. You're gonna, you're an ego maniac because you're even thinking about it. Meaning that I thought my work was so good that it should be in an archive. And I didn't look at it that way. I was just thinking, look, if I'm shooting this, I should keep it because it's a record of like these places and these people at this particular time. And maybe someone 500 years from now or hundred years from now is going to go, Hey, that's interesting. That's why I wanted to keep it. And this younger guy said, you know, Hey, it's all about right now. It's just about the images you're making this second. And it's about putting them online and then forget about them. And I don't believe that at all, but there's an interesting twist to, you know, what you're saying, I think is a very healthy way of looking at it, which is, yeah, I mean, this is photography. It's not human. It's not, there's not, it's not about human nature. There's, there's a level of importance that goes far beyond what we do for a living, even though we are passionate about it, et cetera. But I think that that's a healthy way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that this, none of, none of this stuff is important. I mean, certainly history is important. But history changes, and I mean, we're right in the middle of it right now. Yeah. Um, what are you talking about? <laughs> Everything here is fine. Yeah, clearly, not, nothing's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Did something happen recently that I'm not aware of? Yeah. I mean, but the, the history is certainly important, and that we need to hang on to. But to see, I mean, okay, for me, yeah. okay, this doesn't apply to everyone. But for me, to refuse to let stuff go 
often also holds you back. Sure. I mean, th there are things we need to know, and there, but a lot of it we need to understand changes all the time. Truths, our truths change all the time. Our opinions change all the time. We need to just this happens. Yeah. This is this is being human. Well, on that note. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. It was, uh, I, I knew when we were going to co uh, you know, basically run into each other here in Santa Fe, I wanted to get this interview done because God knows where I'm going to see you next or when I'm going to see you next. I, pre I, I sprung this on you just a couple of days ago, so I appreciate you taking the time oh, to been, come and do this. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love hearing what you guys are up to. I love following uh, your career and seeing from, I think, back to when I first heard about you through Fleming in Perth and looking at your work then and seeing the sites evolve and change and your associations now being a pro. It's really fun, fun to watch because it seems like you guys really have such a good balance and you're still living this nomadic life. I mean, there's so many reasons not to do it. And like you said, everybody tried to talk you out of it. You did it anyway. I know so many people who look at what you're doing uh, and say, that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, you're really an example for a lot of people out there that want to do what you're doing. So I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, we managed to get everyone out of this house for, the, for this <laughs> amount of time, which was a miracle. That took, what, like two hours to get everyone out of here? And uh, now they're probably outside waiting to get back in. But thanks again. And best of luck with all of your endeavors from here on out. And hopefully I'll see you in Germany in the near future. Indeed. Thank you.